be seated. What a great picture of, of what we have to look forward to in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The, the grace that is shown us in him as we all get to benefit from, from the life, death, and resurrection of Emmanuel, God with us. With that, I'd like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 of Romans chapter 6 this morning. Please turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Hear now the reading of God's inerrant inspired word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus was born, that Jesus came, that we might have this salvation that we read about, the good news of the gospel, that we are yours and you are ours. And Lord, help us to live lives this whole new year that praise and glorify your holy name. And be with Mark this morning as he preaches your truths. Bless him, Lord, that we may be fed through the Holy Spirit speaking through him. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we're here this morning wrapping up our Advent series, Emmanuel, God with us, concerning the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, how it impacts his people today. We have looked at how Christ was begotten of the Father, how he was born of a woman, that he was born on a particular day, 
and that he was born to a specific end. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And the way that he accomplishes our salvation is by being that spotless, sacrificial Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And because Jesus was born a man, he could die in our place as our covenant head, as our Redeemer, and as our Savior. Christ died and was buried. He was brought up from the grave that his people would have newness of life and could look forward to their own resurrection on the last day. This is not to say that Christians today are to be libertine antinomians. I know that's a big word, but really what it boils down to is anti means no, namos means law in Greek. That is to say, we, we are not to disregard the law of God and live as we please just because Jesus has died in our place. We are free from earning salvation according to the law, for sure. But we are now free to live lives of obedience unto God for the great mercy that he has shown us in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we've been celebrating this entire Christmas season. And this morning we are going to see that because we have been united to Christ, we are free to live as though no longer under sin's dominion. And to do this, we're going to be looking at three things this morning. First, we're going to be looking at our sinful nature. Second, we're going to be looking at our union with Christ. And third, we're going to be looking at our call to righteousness. Again, that's our sinful nature, our union with Christ, and third, our call to righteousness. So it's that. let's get started by taking a, a look at our first point this morning, our sinful nature. So as we uh, approach our text, we come to the problem in verses 1 and 2. We read, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You see, there are people within the church of Christ who are living a licentious life because Christ has died for all of our sins. The thought goes, well, if Christ's atonement covers all of our sins... Let us sin all the more to make that grace even greater. They want to continue living in a sinful life on Christ's dime. They want to enjoy both Christian fellowship and the pleasant notion of eternal salvation without having to live a changed life. Now, I don't know what your family is like, and if it's anything like mine during this time of the year, the Skaturos are all about their board games. They come out in mass. And without fail, there's always that one person, and guys, let's be honest, you know who you are, who when asked what we should play, utters those words that sound like nails on a chalkboard. Let's play Monopoly. (laughs) And as family, you can only say no so many times before you eventually have to give in, in the spirit of the holidays, of course. And you know that you will have to surrender yourself to hours of tedium. But in Monopoly, there are those little orange chance cards and those yellow community chess cards. What you draw as the game progresses, slowly and laboriously, of course. 
And one of them is, is the get-out-of-jail-free card. That's exactly what's going on in our passage this morning. These people are relegating Jesus Christ, the eternally begotten Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, Emmanuel, God with us, to one of these get-out-of-jail-free cards. They give an assent of sorts to believing in him, but they don't love him, and they cheapen his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection in an effort to justify their own sinful desires. They say that they love him, but not enough that it affects any kind of real change in their lives. As we continue into verse 3, we see Paul exhorting the church to remember their baptism. For all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus are baptized into his death. He's telling them to remember the sacrament that they have been given that ties them to our Lord and Savior, who was born of that woman, born under the law, who stood in their place due to the incarnation in order that he could provide atonement, a a cleansing for them before our just, holy, and almighty God. It's by baptism that we are washed clean, when made effectual by the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and we're engrafted into the family of God, into the, the body of Christ, his church. But it's not just a matter of receiving the sacrament of baptism in the life of the believer. They're, they're also taught to how to live lives as a Christian. It's, it's as we read back in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, just before Diamond's own baptism, that, that we were privileged to witness Last Lord's Day, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Christ says this again in in John 14, verse 15, where he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Being a disciple of Christ means observing his commandments. Yet these people seek to act in such a way that that this son of God come in the flesh, this, this perfect child who grew and became strong, was filled with wisdom and lived a sinless life. They want to live in such a way that he was beaten, mocked, and scorned, stricken, smitten, and afflicted, pierced for our transgressions, and crushed for our iniquities merely for the sake of their good time. As we go on, we read, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The incarnate Son of God's death for his people is to elicit a response in them. There is to be this new creation life that is exhibited in the heart of believer. This this is to say that true believers are regenerate believers. They're different than they were before their conversions. But pastor, you say, I thought we were justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not by works. And to this I say, you are absolutely correct. But that's not what our passage is getting at this morning. We aren't saved by our good works. 
but we are saved for good works. For example, we read in Titus 2.14 that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. As I heard one theologian say on a radio program years ago, how much fruit should there be in the life of the Christian? There should be some. A true Christian cannot just go on with his or her previous life after becoming a member in Christ's church. It's not who they are in the, it's not who they are anymore. They're changed forever. Christ died and was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father that we too would walk in newness of life. Paul is exhorting the church then and those of us here today not to trivialize the crucifixion of Emmanuel, God with us, of the second person of the Trinity that we've been going over these past weeks and the awe, the amazement, the miracle of his birth. The question we have to ask ourselves this morning, Little Farms, is how often could the same be said of us? Are we taking every thought captive to obey Christ? Or are we living in, as Christians in name only? Are we trivializing the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior? Those of us who have, who have been baptized have been baptized into Christ's death. And to those whose baptism has been made effectual by the Holy Spirit cannot think of going back to their previous life with all of its sin and corruption because of their union with Christ. This brings us to our second point this morning, our union with Christ. We read of our union with Christ here in verse 5, which says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Here the Apostle Paul is strengthening what he has already said up until this point. Believers are united in Christ. We, we are joined to him so that he, reviving us by the Holy Spirit, transfer his virtue to us, as Calvin says. The picture here is that of ingrafting into a vine or a fruit tree. When, when this takes place, two different plants are, are fused together. The, the vine dresser cuts the bark uh, away from both the branch and the rootstock. A wedge is cut out of the rootstock. The, 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 the branch is inserted and it's wrapped up to heal. The branch becomes a part of that rootstock and it lives and dies by that rootstock, bearing fruit lest it be pruned, thrown into the fire, and burn, as we know is the case from reading John chapter 15. Christ is that rootstock. Christ provides everything that we need and we bring nothing to the table in this interaction. It, it's all by grace. And Paul fleshes this out a little more in verses 6 and 7 where we read, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, some of you may be asking, what is this old self that Paul is referring to in verse 6? And that's a, a good question. I'd like to invite you with me real quick to keep your fingers here, but turn in your Bible, if you would, to, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We'll 
be looking at verses 5 through 10. Paul, uh, the same writer that wrote the book of Romans, wrote uh, the, the epistle to the Colossians. And, and he lists what, what is comprised of the old self. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The old self is living according to your old sinful desires. And our being united to Christ, that old self was crucified that day nearly 2,000 years ago with Christ as he paid the price for all sin, past, present, and future. For the people of God, the, the body of sin has already been brought to nothing. You are no longer a slave to your sinful desires. God has provided a way out for his people in such a way that that God is both just and justifier through the atoning work of the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. When Christ died at Calvary, we were rescued from the clutches of sin. Is that not good news, little farms? But we were not only set free from sin, as we see in verses 8 through 11, We have been saved unto life. We see that if we have died with Christ, then we will live with Christ and we will never die again. Not in eternal sense. Because death no longer will have dominion over us due to sin having been defeated. Verse 10 tells us the death Christ died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Christ made himself a ransom in order that he would destroy the power and dominion of sin in his one-time sacrifice while regenerating his people by the power of his Holy Spirit. This this is a propitiation, a, a, a payment that sanctifies Christ's people, that makes us die more and more unto sin and live more and more unto Christ. Our sanctification always flows from our justification. Therefore, beloved, walk in assurance of your salvation in Jesus Christ as one who believes in him alone for it. Because your salvation is accomplished completely outside of yourself. It's not contingent upon your actions. When was the last time you thought about your union with our Lord and Savior? That you're engrafted into him. Have you taken that for granted? Have you been living your life apart from him? Jesus Christ, the incarnate son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, came to this world to save sinners. To use his life to stand in our place in order that we would be saved. 
And our comfort this morning is knowing that God cannot fail in what he sets out to accomplish. Now that we're saved, how are we to live lives unto Christ and the glory of God for such a great salvation as this? This brings us to our final point this morning, our call to righteousness. So we see here in this passage this proclivity within the church to want to take license, to to relegate Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to that get-out-of-jail-free card. And the glorious truth of our union with Christ, with its regenerating effect upon his people. Because Christ was buried and brought up, those who are in him are made dead to sin and alive to God. We are buried and brought up with him. Therefore, Paul calls us to live differently, as we see in in the following verses. In verse 12 we read, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Here Paul commands us to continually put to death the old man by the power and grace of God. While Jesus has paid the price for our sin, and we are united to him in his death and resurrection by the Holy Spirit, we will still continue to struggle with sin, this side of glory. The difference is that as the blood-bought children of God, we know that our sin is forgiven, and the Holy Spirit is doing the work of sanctification in our lives. He's making us more and more holy, more and more into the image of Christ. We aren't left to earn righteousness for ourselves, but we are to strive to live like Christ because it's who we were created to be as image bearers of God and out of gratitude for the great gift of salvation that we've been given in Christ. The law reflects what it is to be godly. Why then would we ever want to act contrary to it? When you sin, and you will sin, Pray that the Holy Spirit would do a work in you. That he would enable you to to, to curb your anger. To stop that addiction. To quell that covetousness. Or whatever else the case might be. And that, that you would immerse yourself in the word of God. So that you would know how you are called to live. That the Spirit would work in you through the reading of the word. Paul then has a second command for us in verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He tells the church that they have been buried with Christ and brought up from death to life, so they should live like it. We're not to use the parts of our body to sinful and unrighteous ends. We are to present ourselves to God That is to say, we are to offer ourselves up to God as those who have been brought from death to life. As R.C. Sproul says in his commentaries, this means that as a Christian, you are to surrender your mind, your heart, your will, your arms, your legs, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, indeed, every part of the complex makeup that constitutes you as a human being to God. We are to exist as living sacrifices as Paul tells us in, in Romans chapter 12 that we had for our call to worship this morning. Because this is our spiritual act of worship. To do otherwise would be like God raising someone up from the cemetery and then having that person slap him in the face on his way out never to look to him again. 
And we can do this because as we see in verse 14, sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. A great paradigm shift has taken place. We, we who are in Christ are no longer found guilty for not being able to perform the law perfectly. Our salvation is not based on our own actions. Our sin needs to be continually mortified or, or, or put to death, but it doesn't keep Christ's people from God because our debt has been paid by Christ's atoning sacrifice. We're now under grace and that Christ offers this payment freely and the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, giving us this new creation life by which we are able to do truly good works even now unto God in gratitude to him. As Calvin says, for how much soever we may be harassed by the stings of sin, it cannot yet overcome us, for we are enabled to conquer it by the Spirit of God, and then being under grace, we are freed from the rigorous requirements of the law. Because our great Savior, because of our great Savior, we are to vote, devote all of our faculties to God's service, limping all the ways as we still carry the relics of the flesh until we are raised up ourselves on the last day. So as we come to the end of this Advent series, what does this mean for us today, Little Farms? We can see that because the eternally begotten Son of God was born of a woman on a particular day in history, he could live a perfect life according to the law of God. The, the life that Adam, our first covenant head, could not live, and he could die in our place on the cross. It means that Christ bore God's just wrath on your behalf, and that you have been baptized and buried into his death in order that you might be brought up with him as he conquered the grave. It means that you are free from your bondage to sin and misery, and that you are now able to live a life of righteousness that glorifies God the Father. By the power and grace of God, you can mortify, you, you can put to death that besetting sin in your life. And it means that you can look forward to an eternal life together with your Savior. Brothers and sisters, it does get better than this. Question for all of us today is do you believe this gospel truth that, that God came as a baby to die as a man and that those who believe in him are united with him in his death and resurrection? Because if not, you're still under God's wrath and curse. You have no hope of ever seeing heaven. As always, please feel free to come to either myself or any of the brothers and sisters here with any questions that you have. We'd love to help you in any way that we can. But may we all put our faith in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, and may we all live lives of obedient gratitude for the great salvation that we have in him. Let us not relegate Jesus Christ to that get-out-of-jail-free card. Let God grant it. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for the grace that you have shown us in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We praise you for his perfect life, for his atoning sacrifice on the cross, 
and for our union with him. That we are buried with him in baptism and, and raised with him to newness of life. Forgive us for sinning against you in thought, word, and deed. For, for letting sin reign in our mortal body and using our members for our unrighteousness. Forgive us for, for not treating the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior with the seriousness and respect that they deserve, that he deserves. Thank you, Father, for the wonderful gift of your Son. Thank you that we are united to him, and thank you for doing the work of sanctification in us. May we all serve you well in this week to come. May we live knowing that we are dead to sin and alive in you, in Christ Jesus. Please free us from our sinful desires and help us to live under grace by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. That I'd like to invite you to turn in your Trinity Psalter hymnal, if you would, to number 276 as we sing of the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. Number 276, Jesus paid it all. Receive now your benediction. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Amen.